You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dilovan Parwari. In this episode, we stay on the American continent but go north to Canada for a discussion with Tom Kimmage, who is currently serving his third term as Member of Canadian Parliament for Calgary Shepherd. Mr. Kimmage is also the co-founder of the Canadian Parliamentary Friends of the Kurds. He was born in Poland and raised in Quebec where he obtained a bachelor's degree in political science at Concordia University and a master's degree in American government from Regent University in Virginia. But first, here's a brief news update on the latest developments in Kurdistan and Iraq, as well as some exciting news from U.S. Congress, so please stay tuned. Elections to the 329-seat Iraqi parliament took place on October 10th. Preliminary results indicate that turnout was 43%. For the first time, two members of the Kakai Kurdish religious minority will be represented in the Iraqi parliament. Also, four Yazidis and five Christian candidates won seats. Muqtada Sadr's bloc secured the most seats at 72, followed by the Speaker of Parliament, Muhammad al-Halbusi's Taqaddum or Progress bloc, with 37 seats. The Kurdistan Democratic Party led by President Masoud Barzani and the State of Law bloc led by former Prime Minister Nuri Maliki are tied for third place with 33 seats each. As a single party competing in the election, the KDP has emerged as the biggest party in the Iraqi parliament, positioning itself once again as the most prominent Kurdish party, followed by the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, which won 16 seats. Nonetheless, the official election results are delayed as the Electoral Commission is conducting a manual recount on 300 stations. Turning to Kurdistan, Prime Minister Masoud Barzani announced his decision earlier this month to begin the legal process to elevate the status of Ankawa in the Kurdistan region from a sub-district to a district, which grants degrees of autonomy to what will become the largest official district in Iraq and the Middle East inhabited predominantly by Christians. In other words, it will allow the local population to choose its own administrative representatives and officials, provide its own security and manage its own affairs within the framework of the Kurdistan region. Pivoting to the new economic developments in Kurdistan. Halabja's 7th annual pomegranate festival took place in mid-October. About 500 farmers attended the three-day festival where 26 types of pomegranates were on display. Halabja's pomegranates reached European markets last year, even though the volume of exports was limited. But on the bright side, the KRG's Ministry of Agriculture has plans to support local farmers who want to export their pomegranates as well as other products. On the security and humanitarian front, since late September, dozens of Yazidi migrants who left Sinjar searching for better lives have been stranded on the Poland-Belarus border. According to Kurdish media and Yazidi activists, they don't have food and water and are in a desperate state. They are among hundreds of migrants, including Kurds, caught up in a dispute between European nations and Belarus over the status and movement of the migrants. Turning to the KRG representation's activities in the U.S. Several members of Congress from both chambers have introduced a bipartisan resolution to both the House of Representatives and the Senate commemorating the 30th anniversary of Operation Provide Comfort and Kurdish-American Partnership today. The members of the U.S. House of Representatives include Michael Waltz of Florida, Jim Cooper of Tennessee, Chris Stewart of Utah, Jason Crow of Colorado, Dina Titus of Nevada, Andy Kim of New Jersey, and Don Bacon of Nebraska. And the members of the U.S. Senate include Chris Von Holland of Maryland and Marco Rubio of Florida. 
The resolution refers to the humanitarian operation that saved hundreds of thousands of Kurdish refugees who fled to the mountains to escape from Saddam Hussein's armed forces after the uprising against his tyranny in 1991. It also honors all the brave U.S. soldiers who strive to prevent the death and starvation of innocent civilians. More than 10,000 Americans in the Air Force, Marines, Army, and Navy took part in Operation Provide Comfort, which was one of the most successful humanitarian operations in U.S. history. The operation was launched by the United States, the U.K., and France. The Kurdistan regional government representations in the U.S. encourages Kurdish Americans to send a message to their members of Congress in support of the resolution. The KRG representation has continued its outreach to Congress this month, with Representative Bayam Sami Abdurrahman meeting several members including Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and Congressman Chris Stewart of Utah. Ms. Abdurrahman also met with Jack Etienne and the economic team at the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. They discussed investment opportunities, agricultural development, climate challenges, and Kurdistan's growing potential as a tourist destination. Wrapping up the news update with culture. Kurdish-American Zaid Brifkani published his first novel, The Mountains We Carry, last month. The novel is about a Kurdish family torn apart during unfall, the genocidal campaign that was waged by the Iraqi army against Kurds in 1988. The story depicts their struggle across mountains at refugee camps, told from the perspective of three characters caught in the crosshairs of the Iraqi army during the campaign. Dr. Zaid Brifkani is originally from Dohuk and migrated to the U.S. with his family in 1996. He obtained his degree in medicine from Ross University. He is also the founder and president of Kurdish Professionals, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving the Kurdish community by helping the youth through education and career development. Again, I'm your host, Dolovan Barwari, and you're listening to Kurdistan in America, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in the U.S. And now, the interview with the Canadian Member of Parliament, Mr. Tom Kimmich. Welcome to the Kurdistan in America podcast, Mr. Kimmich. Thanks very much for having me, Delavan. Let's begin with the recent parliamentary elections in Canada, which took place last month, and you were re-elected. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Well done. Well deserved. Now, please tell us about the election as well as your own district, and how long have you been serving in the Canadian Parliament? So I've been, this is my third term uh, that I've uh, been in Parliament. I was first elected in 2015 uh, because we have a, a Western parliamentary system, a Westminster parliamentary system. Um, our last term was quite short, uh, especially during the pandemic. So I was reelected just now when we had our, our election on uh, in September of 2021 for this third term. And I mean, my, my writing is what I always tell people is the doubt deep, deep, deep southeast part of Calgary. It's the second largest riding in Canada by population size. It is the largest riding um, in Calgary by just by size of it as well. Uh, and I represent areas that are suburban communities in Calgary. Amazing, amazing. Uh, from what I know, Calgary has some some resemblance with Kurdistan. It's mountainous and it has a lot of oil. Yes, very much so, yes. <laughs> yeah. So my next question is about the Canadian Parliamentary Friends of the Kurds, which you co-founded in 2016. What made you and your fellow MPs to think of creating a group like this? 
So I have, uh, probably unsurprisingly to you, I have a lot of Kurdish friends and supporters. And I made a promise specifically to one friend of mine, uh, Ali Waisi, that I would do this if I got to parliament, that I would actually start a group like this. I I mean, that was kind of you know, the height of the conflict with ISIS in, in the Middle East, in Iraq and Syria. And I, I said, I, I will do this when I get there. I will found this group. I'll give it a constitution. I'll find other MPs who are like-minded, who are interested in supporting uh, Kurdish people in the Middle East, but also all across the world. And there's so many people of Kurdish heritage who are in Canada. I thought it was about time that we have a parliamentary group that would dedicate itself to building stronger relationships with uh, specifically the parliament in Erbil, uh, so in the Kurdistan regional government. And that, that was the kind of the main primary reason why I founded it. That's amazing. Now, is the group planning to visit Kurdistan anytime soon? We keep making plans, honestly, and then they keep being pushed off because of either elections or now the pandemic has made it so difficult that uh, we're unable to make any firm plans to travel there. And honestly, the group hasn't yet met. Uh, after following the election, we have to do a new refounding meeting again and another annual general meeting to select members, elect an executive, and elect the, the president or chair of the group. That's great. Now we're looking forward to the visit. When uh, the time well, comes. I hope someday. I hope so. <laughs> Inshallah. <laughs> now let's turn to Canada's involvement in the Kurdistan region and Iraq. Canada is a member of the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS and has supported the Peshmerga through training programs. It also has uh, supported demining efforts and provided other forms of humanitarian assistance to NGOs in Kurdistan. And has it has presence, diplomatic presence in our bill. Now, what else should our listeners know about Canada's involvement in the Kurdistan region? I think you you covered off what I think most of the public is aware of, like the kind of the leading things that people think about when they think of northern Iraq and where there's this uh, autonomous region. Um, that's what people think about our combat operations, the, the assistance that we provided to to um, combat units on the ground and to the regional government and to the government of Iraq. But I mean, there's also you know banking and finance, the service and tourism sector, people. Ha- did travel there before the pandemic for tourism. There were a lot of charitable organizations who were operating in the region. And obviously, there were a lot of oil and gas companies from Canada who were operating at the time. The ones I am aware of have since then sold their leases to other companies and have pulled out operations uh, in there. And uh, you mentioned it, like in Erbil now, Canada has upgraded, it continues to upgrade its uh, you know position on the ground. One thing I did find out when I was working on this many years ago was that, you know, I I think there's a big opportunity, especially on education. I know that the University of Alberta, which is based in Edmonton, so in my home province of Alberta, uh, had been working on building a closer campus relationship with some of the universities in the region as well to offer like Canadian level education. Uh, I remember at the time they were talking about, you know, like nursing, but also like manufacturing and maintenance of vehicles, things like that. I think that's the great opportunity that I see. That's what can strengthen our relationship is the post-secondary sector. Uh, and to encourage more business connections between Kurdistan and between Canada. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for elaborating. And on behalf of the KRG, I thank the Canadian government for all the support to Kurdistan. Now, there is a related question. How can Erbil and Ottawa strengthen their relationship? So, I mean, today, today we're all dealing with the pandemic. So I think that's the 
that's mission number one. But eventually there will be a post-pandemic period. Um, so a, a couple of things I've, I've been thinking about. I really think that our parliament here, so not just the government of Canada, but the parliament, we need a stronger parliament-to-parliament connection and maybe an exchange of legislators. We do this with other allied countries uh, and other countries that we share like deep historical roots with, where we have legislators travel to each other's countries and we kind of learn about the work that we do and how we do the work. So it's not government to government. It's really parliament to parliament. It's more of a cultural exchange between the two regions. I like to see that happen much more. I also think there's a lot of opportunities uh, at the government level to engage much more closely with Erbil on you know, development, but I, I'm a big promoter of like private sector development. Uh, so encouraging companies that want to do business in Kurdistan, like a great way to support them is to make sure that we can guarantee the loans, uh, that we can backstop them with diploma- diplomatic support, that we can do like the simple things like confirming that the businessman you're talking to is actually a businessman and you're not about to lose your money on it. And on the flip side, uh, for those businesses in Kurdistan who are, the, I, you know, I'm unsure about doing business in Canada, I don't really know know anybody is building those connections with business associations in Canada. So encouraging, you know, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce to travel there and to do a business exchange, let's say, or an expo, things like that, things that we already do with, say, the Republic of Ireland, we do with the United Kingdom, we do with France and Germany. That's the type of treatment I like to see. And you got to start somewhere. I'm not saying, you know, go out with a big bang and start immediately. Uh, but there's a certain starting points you can do it. And I think business to business relationships, that's the starting point. I, I would prioritize those over government to government relationships. Absolutely. You can definitely foster those relationships, the economic relationships and yeah. other areas. And uh, my next question is about a recommendation that you made uh, in an interview with Kurdistan24. You encouraged the KRG to develop the private sector. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a conservative member of parliament. I'm a big believer in, you know, the private sector. That's where the people are. That's where uh, people get to show off their entrepreneurialism. Um, the public sector lives off, you know, the, the the private sector's ability to create wealth and provide opportunities. Uh, years ago, in t- at the end of 2018, we had an economic report that we completed with the Aleph Policy Initiative. It was called the Business Opportunity in the Kurdistan Region of Iraq and Prospects for a Canadian Consulate in Erbil. Uh, that was written uh, and prepared by the Canadian par- Parliamentary Friends of the Kurds. Um, in it, we kind of did an analysis of what were the business opportunities that existed in the region. And that's why I'm always a big believer, like encourage business development. It starts there. If people can get good paying jobs, if they have opportunities, you know, to provide for their families, that's what provides uh, the governments with royalty revenue, with tax revenue to build your roads, to upgrade infrastructure, whether that's, you know, power infrastructure, water infrastructure, it attracts new businesses. Uh, you know, the manufacturing sector would come in and be more stable if they could guarantee themselves 24 seven electricity, access to water, access to working roads, access to obviously, uh, you know, a functional border. So this is something the government in Baghdad has to ensure is available. Um, and I, I remember we went through the 2012 Kurdistan Regional uh, Region Labor Force Survey, the 2011 World Bank Enterprise Survey, uh, Rand uh, Corp provided a non-oil GRP estimate. Um, so like we went through all this information and we figured out, you know what, the greatest opportunity for Canada and for the government there 
is to make sure that they focus as much attention on the private sector, foster competition between companies, uh, foster competition at, at the lowest level, and give people an opportunity to build their own businesses. Because from there, they can create wealth, provide for families. That's the same thing. What, what we've done in Canada, we've had you know the benefit of over 100 years of a fairly stable political system. That's not the case in Kurdistan. You have... Uh, um, what I'll call aggressive neighbors <laughs> that surround you. And that it's, it's not been made easy, obviously, to create a stable economic environment, but uh, prosperity be- begins with a stable economic environment. And, and that should be the focus of the governments there. Very well said and very uh, valuable advice to the KRG. Now let's turn to the Kurdish diaspora in Canada. We understand that there is a growing Kurdish connection Kurdish Canadian community, and they're centered around Vancouver, Ottawa, Toronto, and Edmonton. What can you tell us about the community, and does the Canadian Parliamentary Friends of the Curse engage with them? So that's a really good question. That's something that we've been working on for years. We actually just finished a pretty major update to what what I call our stakeholder list. was actually led by a, a Canadian of Kurdish heritage. Uh, who was working in my office and in uh, Zia Abutayib's office, who's an Edmonton member of parliament. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the biggest communities in Canada uh, are centered around the cities that you mentioned, but they, they're also in like places like Hamilton, uh, in London, Ontario. Uh, there's some in Manitoba as well. Uh, Regina has a, a Kurdish community that, like, for example, I didn't even know that that they were around. Uh, Coquitlam has one. Surrey has one. Um, and there's community leaders. And for some of them, like the the largest groups in Canada are obviously in Canada's major cities. And it, all of these groups have typically, you know, in the thousands. There's a large uh, community of Canadians who have Kurdish heritage, who are permanent residents who uh, are starting to grow, like they're starting to become larger communities. So they get their own community centers. They start language groups to, you know, teach Kermanji or Sarani um, or whatever the other dialect is that, that they want to teach uh, to their kids. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's an opportunity uh, to connect with other Canadians who may confuse them for, you know, the other ethnic groups from the region too, as well. So we've started to connect. The pandemic has really, though, made it difficult, you know, go to those events, you know, um, go to commemoration events. Uh, It's been made, everything has been made more difficult because of the pandemic. But my hope is after this is, after the pandemic is over with, whenever that is, that we will be able to send MPs from all the different political parties to like a Navruz celebration, a Halabja commemoration, uh, to participate in like, you know, family gatherings for like Anfal. Uh, whatever it is, uh, we want to make sure that MPs who are part of the Parliamentary Friends of the Kurds can participate in it. Um, and like I said, we just finished this major update to our uh, stakeholder list so we could identify, you know, who were the community leaders, what were the contact information, how many people, how many families do they think were in the community, how many were active, and then compare it to our Statistics Canada data to try and figure out, you know, where are they? How do we talk to them? How would we communicate with them if you wanted to come in and participate in a community event? So we, we've just finished that work. And that's the recent survey that you did across the uh, Kurdish communi- community. That's right. Mean, right. That's right. Exactly that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were there any surprises? 
Well, like, like I was mentioning, I, I was surprised to find groups that existed in, for example, Regina. So in Saskatchewan, which it's a, for your listeners who may not know, like Regina is one of the smaller provinces in Canada. It's a Western province, very, very flat and proudly flat. Many freshwater lakes are there, some great fishing that you can do. But Regina has a Kurdish community that I didn't even know existed. And it's about 600 people uh, estimate, uh, 600 people who are there. Um, according to their community leaders, like we found groups in places that, like London, Ontario, um, who identify themselves more with the Rojava Kurds than any other parts. Um, so that was one of the interesting points. Like we found Kurdish communities, small little groups who had connected to each other, um, who have a community association. Places in Canada we didn't think we'd find them. So that that was the the big surprise, I'd say. Very well. Now let's turn to you. And what should I ask you that people might be surprised to know about you? Well, that, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, obviously, people can tell by my name. I'm not Kurdish. Um, I get that quite a bit. Most people go, well, why did you co-found a group of, um, you know, a, a pro-Kurdish group on the Canadian Parliament Hill uh, because you're not Kurdish? I go, well, I, I'm not, but I think like Polish history I wasn't born in Canada. I was born in Poland, you know, behind the Iron Curtain. So back in 1981, um, I actually lived a few years in a communist country before my family was allowed to leave. And uh, Polish history, Kurdish history rhymes a lot. I have a large collection of books about Kurdistan. I think that would be a surprise to a lot of people. I have a lot of technical books, but a lot of history books, cultural books. Um, A lot of Kurds I meet are surprised about how much I know and can differentiate between Sarani and Kermanji and which part of Kurdistan people are from. Like if you're from Eastern Kurdistan, you're like from um, uh, Mahabad and, uh, you know, the the Western provinces in Iran, uh, which are, uh, and and yeah, like, I think that's what people find the most surprising about myself. I also have a background. I have a master's degree in counterterrorism and homeland security, which was kind of my first touching touch point with the differences in the Middle East between the different different ethnic groups, different religions, and then the overlay of politics over that, and then military history in the region. So that, that would probably be a big surprise to most people. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing. Now, we've reached the final segment of the interview where we ask our guests the same three question. questions. Here it goes. The first question is, when was the first time you heard about Kurdistan? I'd say during my studies at Regent University on um, on uh, homeland security and kind of the, and and the Middle East and the different groups that existed there. Interesting, and that was not so long ago, right? Just that would have been more probably uh, 2014 is when I finished my degree, so 2012, 2013, right before ISIS rose. Yep. Great, thanks. And now the second question: What is a word or phrase that sums up Kurdistan for you? freedom no friends like the mountains interesting can you elaborate on that oh everything i mean i i have like i said i have a lot of kurdish friends now um and i think the 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 old joke amongst many of them especially of an older generation is kurds have no friends except the mountains Uh, you know i come from alberta like you said it's uh i I live in the foothills because that's where calgary's built but you got this beautiful mountain view and the Kurds I know in Calgary, many of them say they go to the mountains very often because they love hiking there and visiting there. And you know, I have tourism books uh, of Kurdistan, so of southern Kurdistan in Iraq and the region. 
and just every Kurd I meet is kind of a liberty leaning, classical liberal in, especially in the Western world. Uh, if they've emigrated or if they fled uh, the region, they are quite liberty minded, freedom minded. They're, they're Western uh, political tags would be they're mostly libertarians. Those are the, the Kurds that I meet. So that, that's what they make me think of. Great insight. Thanks for elaborating. Now we've reached the final question. What's a word or phrase that sums up Canada for you? Home. That's it's it's simple to me. It's home. My uh, my father came to Canada back in 1983. He was um, he came here on a medical exit visa from communist Poland to visit his father who was uh, dying of brain cancer in Toronto. He then overstayed uh, his welcome here. Applied for. Um, a status to stay because he didn't want to go back. Uh, he was a member of the Solidarity Movement, which was the only non-communist labor uh, trade association in in Poland. And he stayed, and it's been home ever since. I mean, I grew up in Quebec, which is the French-speaking province, and I I, I now live in Calgary. Uh, my family's in Calgary. You know, my brother, and my father all moved to Calgary, so it's just home. It's it's one of the greatest countries, not the greatest country. In, in the whole world, uh, peaceful, quiet for the most part, um, is just lovely. I, I always encourage people to come and visit. You can get any type of experience you want in Canada. The country is so big. If you love to fish, you can do that. If you love to hunt, you can do that. If you love hiking, biking, canoeing, you can find places to do all those things in Canada. But if you also like, you know, kind of a busy uh, lifestyle in a really big city, there's always uh, Toronto, which is one of the, one of the biggest cities in North America. It's absolutely a great and beautiful country. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it and giving us the honor to interview you. Thank you very much, Jalavan, and thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on either Buzzsprouts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa.